was uh, driving to church early this morning. Uh, on occasion, I preach on a Saturday night, and I'm like, nope, that wasn't it. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? All the times when you guys are preaching on a Saturday, and you realize, well, that's not it at all. And so you wake up early like I did this morning, and you drive to your place, uh, you know, where you work at your church, and, uh, and you try to see what God has. Uh, so I got up super early this morning. Didn't need the alarm. In fact, my alarm went off as I was sitting in my office. Scared me to death. Anybody had one of those? <laughs> right? Forgot that I hadn't shut it off. And I drove here this morning about, uh, I don't know, 530. Uh, it was still dark. If you weren't awake then, trust me, super dark. And I'll tell you this. We are in a time of year where the moisture uh, can't be fully absorbed in our ground, and so it just kind of sits in our air. It's called fog. Anybody experience that? I don't know if it was doing that when the sun came up, but uh, when it was dark this morning, I'm not kidding, pea soup. I got on 60 from where I live, and, and you couldn't see stoplights until you were just about right up on them. It's kind of unnerving. Has anybody been in that kind of fog and that kind of darkness? There's, kind, there's levels to dark, isn't there? There's dim. There's dusk. There's dark, and then there's like, whoa, this is dark, kind of scary. Reminded me of the creation account that we have on the first pages of our Bible. Anybody know how the book starts? In the beginning, God created what? Okay, thanks for the three of you who played. And uh, anybody know how it goes from there? It says this in verse 2, that the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And the first words that we hear from God the creator are these ones, let there be light. And there was light. First thing God creates in this dark, chaotic, null and void existence is light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. He finishes creation. You can go read it if you want. Uh, it tells it in Genesis 1. It kind of retells it in Genesis chapter 2. And things are great for a time. We don't know how long. But the light has come to this world that God has created. Uh, those who he created in his image, us, the humans, we are basking in this perfection of his light there's nothing wrong. Everything's right because everything exists in God's light. But then if you know our story, the first humans who were created in God's image, given volition, choice, chose poorly. Uh, if you want to kind of, you know, fine-tooth comb their choice, they were dissatisfied with the light. They wanted more. And everybody knows that too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Does everybody get that? Let me reference a couple of things. Like I was having tacos with some of the uh, staff here and, and Travis, if you haven't heard the story, Travis and Mickey Lowe, who are the pastors of Trinity Anglican Church over there in Ybor City, God has given them, speaking of light, God has given them a church building, uh, like, you know, paid for. And uh, God continues to shine his light in so many amazing ways. So we went over there to see their church building a week or so ago, uh, and we went to uh, uh, Los Chapos Tacos there in Ybor City. Delicious. Got one problem with it, though. The music's too loud. Has anybody been in that restaurant where the music's like, like, I'm cool with loud. Don't get me wrong. I'm a headbanger. I'll do loud. 
But, uh, but if I'm sitting there enjoying tacos with some people that I don't get to see all the time, and I have to yell over the you know, Latin, uh, you know, Latin music that's being played in the speaker right next to my head to be able to communicate with them, it's just not, not a great time. Too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Let me reference a couple others. Ben and Jerry's ice cream, all right? <laughs> I can guarantee you that there's definitely a line that can be crossed. Too much of that can be a bad thing, right? Too much uh, of, a, of, a, of a drink. I, I got a drink recently, I'll, I'll go on, but uh, uh, Publix has this, you know, vat-sized soda that you can get. Did you know that? You can go to their deli and there's cups that are so big they don't fit in any cup holder in any vehicle. And I didn't realize this when I had, you know, uh, selfishly, piggishly bought the biggest cup of soda I could get, and so I sat it on what should be the cup holder, but it didn't fit. Are you with me? And then I went to grab the keys for my truck, and in doing so, hit the cup with my elbow, and 44 ounces of dark, bubbly liquid sprayed over the interior of the truck that I worship too much. Are you with me? <laughs> too much of a good thing is a bad thing. And so sin enters the world. The first man and the first woman say, God, you're not enough. I want more. And sin is the result. And immediately, uh, the man and the woman are ashamed. Darkness sets in where there's never been any such thing as dark. They're separated from their God. They're cast out. And you read your Bible, this uh, idea of being cast out has this interplay with darkness. We are cast out to the darkness. Read the rest of your Bible, you'll note that the story uh, invariably gets back to this theme. Things going dark, God shining his light. People breaking, God restoring. It's where we find ourselves as we open this study that we're in right now in the book of 1 Samuel. If you were with us last week, we began in chapter 1. Uh, we met some of the main characters. Uh, there's a husband, and his name's Elkanah. He has two wives. His first wife is Hannah. He loves her, but Hannah has, up to this point, been unable to give him children. So he's taken for himself a second wife, this girl, Panina. And Panina has kids, but uh, Elkanah doesn't favor her. And, and the dynamic in this family is dark. Uh, really, the only one that's happy is Elkanah, and he's just barely now, we hear their story. We meet some other characters, a guy named Eli, who's the priest in uh, this uh, 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 tribe or in this um, territory in Israel called Ephraim. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, we're going to get to know them better. They're a mess. But all of these characters are introduced to us in a period in Israel's history where darkness reigns. If you go back to the end of Judges, which is where uh, 1 Samuel kind of picks up the story of Israel, you'll read this in the very last verse of the book of Judges, it says, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. People did as they pleased. No one seeking to honor, certainly a king, because there wasn't one, but uh, no one seeking to honor their God and the things that he would have for them. This place that uh, the story of Samuel takes place in is dark and broken and in desperate need with some light, and it's where we meet here in this desperate world, this desperate woman. 
Her name's Hannah. She's got all kinds of internal pain because of her barrenness. Uh, She wants things that aren't yet. Anybody been there? Desiring something that isn't here? Yeah, my son Cooper uh, spent uh, eight long years uh, getting his degree in art from the University of Southern Florida. Now, we celebrated with him a few different times when he thought he had graduated, but he hadn't yet. But anyway, uh, <laughs> we celebrated with him, you know, the joy of his, uh, you know, uh, accomplishment in, in, in finishing out this degree. But very quickly, Cooper realized that the things that he thought this degree would automatically bring don't automatically arrive. You apply for these jobs that you uh, desperately want, but you've you realize that lots of other people want those jobs, and, and they're the ones that have gotten those, and you still have to live, and so you go to work at a warehouse for a fine company, but not exactly what you were spending eight years preparing to do, and, and you wrestle as a young man with um, hoping and not realizing a dream. Darkness is the result. Internal pain plagues Hannah. Uh, External persecution is all around her, especially from her sister, wife, uh, Penny. She's jealous of her. And she's like, before there was Mean Girls, you know, that movie, uh, there was Penny. Penina was a mean girl. And Penina, uh, at every uh, opportunity, uh, would just mercilessly um, speak horrible things to Hannah. Hannah had inadequate marital support. I know no marriage here ever experiences that from the man's side or the woman's side, but sometimes in relationships where you're meant to receive what you need from God, um, you lack. Uh, Elkanah was certainly trying his best, but he was a dude. And uh, he kind of uh, said, honey, why, why aren't I uh, worth more to you than ten sons? Made it all about himself. Uh, Hannah continued in her desperation, her depression, uh, she even goes to the church, and, and while there, she meets this guy. We talked about this last week, uh, Eli, this priest, and, and, and he has a bad day. He can't even really discern what's going on with this woman, thinks she's drunk while she's praying, and actually accuses her of the same. Why don't you take you and your bottle and get out of my church? It's in there. You can read it. And she's like, no, pastor. I'm praying. Oh, my bad. All kinds of darkness enveloping the story of Hannah. So what can we learn this morning from Hannah in her darkness? When the world goes dark, we need to head for the light, people. We read this part of our story uh, in verse 9. We started it last week. After they, her family members, not her, uh, she wasn't eating at this time. Her depression was so great. After they had eaten and, and drunk their fill in Shiloh, uh, Hannah, I don't know if this is like uh, they're fixing to leave. Apparently they weren't. They're going to wake up in the morning and uh, kind of head back to the same tabernacle. But whatever is happening, Hannah breaks from the norm. Everybody else is feasting and finishing and maybe getting ready for bed. But Hannah says, you know what, I'm going down to the tabernacle. I'm going down to where God resides. She rises and, and heads to church. Eli the priest is sitting there at the seat beside the storepost of the temple. It just kind of introduces the fact that he's there. Um, this is what I picture happening in Hannah's mind. 
Hannah realizes that if nothing changes, nothing changes. Anybody ever heard that one? If you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. She's like, this ain't working. Things aren't changing. And we don't have any evidence of where she was spiritually up until this point. I trust that she had, with Elkanah, been faithfully coming, doing the sacrifices required of her in the Jewish religion. But here, in this story, something changes. She gets up, she rises, and she heads to where she can connect with her God. It says in verse 10 that she was deeply distressed, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept bitterly. Been there? Dark nights of the soul, right? Things break to the point where you're just, you can't even form words. Anybody been there? Crying so hard that like English evades you? She's weeping bitterly. I picture her laying, maybe even on her face, prostrate before her God. She's uh, just pouring her heart out before him. As a pastor, I've uh, been in the room, been on the phone, been in the presence of people who've lost loved ones, um, who've experienced uh, the news, like uh, a family in our church uh, found out this past week that well, someone that they uh, uh, rose or raised up in their family as a son had made choices, has made choices that have just altered his world forever. And they're broken. And they call Eleanor and I, and they're like, we don't know what to do. And we're like, we just do what God's always taught us to do. When things go dark, we head towards the light. When things break, we go to the one who fixes things. Or at least, as we're waiting for them to be fixed, gives us peace in the wait. That's what Hannah did. She went to her light, to her God, and she prayed and asked for God to look on her, to remember her, to not forgive her. In essence, Lord, shine your light into my darkness. And that's what God apparently did because everything about Hannah changed in a couple verses. She has this brief conversation with Eli. He thinks she's drunk. She says, I'm not. But then the woman goes away, it says in verse 18. She does something she hasn't done for I don't know how long, but she has herself a meal. Not only that, it says that her face was no longer sad. Something occurred in that transaction, that interaction between her and the God who is light. The lights came on. And even, listen, I talked about this last week. Even though the circumstances had yet to change, attitudes, outlooks were different. She had hope where she'd had none before. She had peace in this darkness that had enveloped her. God granted Hannah his light, and it led to her seeking him again the next day. We'll pick up where we left off from last week. Check it out. Verse 19 says this. It says, they, and I'm assuming that's Hannah and Elkanah at least, maybe the rest of the family, they rose, and here it is, just like this morning. They rose early in the morning. I don't know if it was foggy there in Israel, but I'm guessing it was dark. Have you noticed how often great things happen in the early hours of the morning? Anybody remember Easter? Right? These women are walking. It's still dark. They're heading to the tomb of Jesus. And in those early hours of the morning, I picture it still being dark. All of a sudden, they are blinded by the light of a messenger of God who says, He's not here. He's risen. 
I love how God does that. Creation happens in the context of darkness. God shines his light. Recreation happens in the context of darkness. Jesus rises from the dead. Here in this hour of darkness, propelled, compelled perhaps by her previous experience, uh, Hannah and Elkanah rise early and they go and they worship their God. We don't have the backstory. Had Hannah uh, uh, told Elkanah of her experience? I'm guessing. Um, I'm guessing she had told him in such a way that, that he was aligned with her promise that she made. If she was to be given a son, uh, she would give the son back in service to her. For God, and, and together with this as their vow, as their promise, they went and they worshiped uh, the God who is light. It says in the next part of the verse that God turns the dimmer switch up. Anybody got a dimmer switch at home? Some of you like the mood low, and so you bring the, but then when you need it, and the lights come on, right? I love this. God uh, certainly shines his light. It's always sufficient, but sometimes he blinds us with his goodness, right? And that's what happens next in the story of Hannah. He didn't just give her peace and hope in the moment. Um, he opened her womb. It says that they went back to their house in Rama. Rama Lama Ding Dong. That's where they were from. No, it's not really true. Um, that's the name of the town they were from, though. And Elkanah, biblical speak here, knew his wife. If you don't know what that means, kids, ask your parents. And the Lord remembered her. It says that the Lord remembered her. Love that phrase there. The Lord remembered her. It makes you ask a question. Wait a minute. Can the Lord forget? Because if he can remember, doesn't it mean he has to be able to, or that it's required that he has to forget? No. Uh, just so we're clear, God does not forget. God knows all things. He's omniscient doesn't need to remember like you and I do. I was spending the weekend with Eleanor at a pastor's conference uh, here locally with some other pastors from town. It's a great time. Uh, we had a, a, a great experience until last night when I got ready to go for bed and I realized that my two favorite pillows that I had taken so I could sleep. Anybody with me? Over 50? Sleep matters now. You're with me, right? And so like I bring all the comforts of home wherever I'm going as much as I possibly can so that I can guarantee wherever I lay my head, I will have the best chance at fulfilling sleep. Anybody with me? Some of you are like, you're weird. That's okay. Doesn't matter. I don't have those two pillows anymore because I forgot them in the room, right? Who's, uh, who's gotten ready for, you know, whatever you were going to do next and reached for whatever you needed for whatever you were going to do next and realized it was no longer in your zip code? Has anybody been there? Yeah, it's because we forget. We fallibles fail. But God doesn't. He's omniscient. So remember, here and anywhere else you see God remembering someone in Scripture, isn't that he'd forgotten him or her. It's that he is acting on their behalf according to his will in response to their faith. I say according to his will because God always functions within his greater picture. His purposes uh, supersede our wants and desires. He allows terrifically hard things to occur in this broken world that we live in. He says no to some of our requests. Because in the grand scheme of things, which I don't understand, and if you're honest, you don't understand, 
He's moving the story of existence forward according to his will. But there are times when in accordance with his will and in response to our faith in asking of him, he responds. We see the request that Hannah makes here in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 11. It says, she vows a vow, prays a promise to God. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant, remember me and not forget your servant. I, and you give me a son, I'll give him back. Show me, this is what Hannah is saying, show me grace. Shine a light into this darkness that is my life. And it tells us here in verse 19 that the Lord, in response to Hannah's ask, her begging him to remember her. And to not forget her, he responds. He remembers her and gives her a son. To me, this echoes the prayer that God instructed Moses uh, to give to the, the sons of Aaron, the Levites, the priestly tribe of Israel. When they were executing their duties in the, in the temple, uh, one of the blessings that they were meant to give those who came to worship there is listed for us in Numbers chapter 6. Verse 22 says, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, speak to Aaron his son, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, see if you recognize it, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to what? Shine. Send us some light. Make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I grew up in a church where our pastor would on occasion close the services that we were in with those verses. I don't remember a whole lot about church growing up, um, but I remember these ones. I always thought it was a nice way to finish. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And he was saying those things to that church that I was in. He was praying the light of God into the darkness of our lives. That's what God does in the story of Hannah. He brings, in response to Hannah's request, the light of a son, his name Samuel, Samuel into Hannah's life and into the life of Israel, the story of Israel. We'll talk about this more as we go through this study, but Samuel comes on the scene because God is going to use Samuel as the final judge, as one of the first prophets in Israel. He's going to use Samuel to anoint the first king, his name Saul, loser, but then he's going to anoint the next king, his name's David, and guess who comes from the line of David? That Yeah, if a pastor asks you a question, say Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is going to um, come out of the story of Samuel, who is born to a woman who is unable to bear children. Hope you see the parallels of the many birth stories in the Bible. There's a bunch of them, right? Like a baby's born and everything changes. The book of Exodus opens with this kid Moses being born. Uh, he's, he's basically uh, been decreed against. The, the pharaoh of Egypt says, all the Israelite sons need to die. And so what does his mom do? Puts him in a basket, obviously, and sets him afloat on the Nile River, right? But God miraculously preserves the life of this kid Moses. If you don't know the story, read it, Exodus, this week. And he eventually becomes the leader of the Emancipation Project that is the freeing of Israel from Egypt. And God's overarching story is accomplished by the birth of a child who lived his first few years in peril, but who became the change agent in redemption history. You get Samuel in our story, but then you move forward to the New Testament. Come on, 
What's the ultimate birth story in the scriptures? Christmas, right? Jesus is born, certainly, because the incarnation is necessary. I don't have time to litigate that theologically. But he's born of the flesh to Mary and Joseph. He, he, he is also in peril. Remember, Herod wants to kill him? So he has to escape. He grows up in anonymity, and 30 years into life, he comes out. He's baptized by another baby whose story we get, a guy named John the Baptist. And then he starts his ministry years, and one of his central uh, messages in his teaching, would it surprise anybody, is this one. In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus speaks to the crowd that he's in front of, and he says this, I am the what? I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I don't know how many times we've hung out together. If this is my only time with you, can I just please tell you what every one of my sermons is about? I mean, you can kind of flip and fold and do whatever you want with them, but ultimately we're all getting back to this central message. The world is dark and God is light. Everything else fails where God succeeds. If you want hope, Meaning in life, you go to the light of the world. If you follow him, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life. If you're sitting here this morning and you have by faith received Christ, you have moved from the darkness of your death in in transgressions and sins, and you have become new in an existence that is the light and life of Jesus. That's what we're preaching here. We can come at it from all kinds of angles, Old Testament, New Testament, this story, that story. But bottom line, that's what this is about. God made you, sin separated you from him, plunged you into darkness, and the only way out is through faith in the light of the world, his son, Jesus Christ. And if you haven't found him today, I pray you do, because that's the point. Doesn't stop there, though. Darkness seeps back into life, even for those of us who are in the light. Anybody notice that? Darkness comes for us all. The world continues to break. Our worlds continue to break. That's why I'm so grateful that I've found my repairman, the one who fixes things. And like Hannah, lots of times it takes me too long, but I finally come to the end of myself, and I just fall before the light of the world, and I say, please, Fix what's broken. Shine your light into what I cannot bring light to. So we get to this conference. uh, Thursday evening, we pull up to the place where we're checking in, have a nice conversation with the people who are taking care of us, get our room keys and all that stuff. And I go back out to the truck to drive to where we're going to stay. And I turn the key and nothing. Right? Been there before? Know it's the battery, right? So uh, gratefully, the the guy that was checking us in pulls his car around. I've got jumper cables because I'm smart. And uh, I get my car running again. But what do I do? Do I go to the first session? Why? Because that's not going to start again. Sans the jumper cables and someone else to help me. Where do I drive? I drive to the church that is AutoZone. And I find the auto light that is James R. That was on his name tag. And I say, James get me a battery. James does. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I could probably do this, but I want to get all sweaty, and AutoZone does it for you. That's great. But then he opened the trunk, and here's the deal. Uh, I couldn't, when I was trying to jump the the battery, I couldn't find the battery. Has anybody got that car where everything's covered with plastic, and you're like, I don't know where anything is here. 
And I'm like, you know, sticking these battery cables on the radio. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm try, you know, there's knobs there, right? And uh, finally find the battery, and I get to AutoZone, and I'm not kidding. It took about 45 minutes for James to extricate this battery from this convoluted truck that I own now and put a new one in. And I had to stand there. James was just a, a shorter gentleman, and so he's up on this, like, you know, step stool to be able to, and, and together we're just jamming this battery, pulling it out and then jamming this battery back in and trying to figure out which nut goes where. And together, James and I brought life back to the truck that I drive. Are you with me? And then this life that we live with the light of the world, he comes to us and he says, hey, let me shine on that. You might have to help me a little bit. You might have to do some stuff. Certainly be active in this solution with me. But I'll get you back on the road. I'll get things moving again. When the world goes dark, we head for the light. Anybody grateful for the light that is our Savior, Jesus Christ? Anybody grateful for the grace that he's given you? Yeah? You know, I'm, uh, I don't have time to do it right now. I did it last night on, at a Saturday service, but uh, here's, here's one of the things I want you to take away today. And you can even start now while you're talking to me again. I'm not offended. I'm a multitasker. When I listen to people, I won't be offended. But just start writing down the light that God has shined into your life, the, the ways that his grace has shown up. Recently, historically, I don't care, but remember, reflect on, as we sang earlier, the goodness of God. All your lives, he's been faithful. And listen, man, I know things can get hard. I know things are hard in certain people's lives around here right now. But we reflect on his deliverance, his light in our lives in the past, knowing that he'll show up in this current darkness and shine a way through. Are you with me? Do a little history lesson in your life. Look for the grace. Look for the ways that his light has shined. I'm going to quickly read through the rest of the story here in this section. And I got one more observation. I had four points last night. I chopped it down to two. Hope that's okay. It says in verse 20, man, uh, 20 man, some of you are like, yeah, great, cool. That's hurtful. <laughs> verse 21, it says, the man, Elkanah, and all his house went up to offer the Lord, uh, this is at a later time, uh, after Samuel's been born, he, they went up to offer the Lord uh, the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. He was just a, a law abider. He, he uh, diligently, reverently sought to honor God in the Jewish faith. It says, but as Hannah did not go up, uh, or, but Hannah, excuse me, did not go up, for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, now, most scholars agree uh, that that was around the age of three. So the baby would, you know, feed off of his mother until he was about three, year old, three years old in that ancient Israeli culture. And then he'd be weaned and be on to solid food. And so he says, listen, as soon as that happens, that's when we'll bring him up and, and keep our promise to God to, to dedicate this son of ours to his uh, service. Um, verse 23, so Elkanah, uh, her husband, says to her, as a wise husband, <laughs> do what seems best to you. Fellas, did everybody get that? Let's all say it together. Husbands, ready? Do what seems best to you. Well played, uh, men. That's a, a great thing to do. But uh, in this particular case, Elkanah says this to Hannah, hey, do what seems best to you. I trust you. I trust your judgment in this. Wait until you've weaned him. Only, and this is where we get the idea, the picture that Elkanah is as much in on this promise, this vow that has been made as Hannah herself is. Only may the Lord establish his word. It's not capitalized in the English Standard Version, so anytime you see a pronoun, his, referring to God, typically there's a capital H in front of it. 
Uh, so this isn't referring to God's word, uh, at least in the translation that the English Standard Version gives us. It's probably referring to what Eli says in verse 17. It seems like a throwaway line, but he basically says in response to Hannah, Hannah after realizing she's not actually drunk and she is actually praying, hey, may God, he kind of does the, the number six thing, may God make his face to shine upon you. May God bless you with whatever you're asking in this situation. God has blessed, everybody picking this up in the story, Samuel does exist, he has been given to them, and so in response to that blessing of Eli to confer uh, their prayers uh, and, and for God to answer their prayers, Elkanah's like, dude, it's in the Hebrew, dude, we're doing that, so that the words that Eli spoke over this prayer of yours, which has come to pass, might be fully Fulfilled, fulfilled. Hannah is in, Elkanah is in, Samuel will be given to God as promised. And this reminds us of this last thing. We need to be willing to give back what God has given us. Oh, I'm glad you like that. Uh, let me say that again. We need to be willing to give back what God has given us. This is a principle throughout scripture. Our stuff isn't our stuff. It's his. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, right? If you've got something good, it's from God. Let me say this again. If you've got anything at all, it's from God. It's his. You're just holding it for him. So everybody do this for me. Everybody just take your hands out like this. When you live life, this is how you live it. God puts things, put chicken like this, God puts things in my hands, and if he needs it, I give it back. But I never, everybody, I never do this. Everybody shake your head, no. <laughs> Not doing this, I'm doing this. Everybody nod your head, yeah. This is the life I live. Most of us would be like, oh, yeah, absolutely, this is my life. What if I came to some of you younger families and said, hey, God needs your three-year-old? Where are you at? Well, I don't know about that. That sounds illegal. Can he do that? I don't think that's legal. <laughs> we all have this like ceiling, perhaps. But here for Hannah and Elkanah, it was so clear. This son that is ours was given to us miraculously by the God who is light. It wouldn't make sense for us to hog him to ourselves. Of course, we'll recognize that this amazing gift is God's to do with as he pleases. And so we'll offer it up. So let me just finish with this. We used to say around here uh, when we were talking about our mission statement that we exist to surrender to God. We changed it to we exist to glorify God. Both are true. But I like that phrase, we exist to surrender to God. Why? Because it says that what's mine is his. It starts with us personally. We wake up every day and choose whom we shall serve. And so we need to give ourselves. We need to give God our surrender of our whole person. It certainly slides into our stuff, our money, our possessions. Look at me, our time and our energy. If God requires me in other uh, um, places and in, in certain relationships to give of what he's given to me to those around me, whether it's my stuff or myself or my time or my 
uh, wisdom, my encouragement. I'm there to do it. If I can skip down to verse 28, Matthew, I'm just going to close with that because we don't have time for the other verses. But Hannah goes to the temple, meets Eli, and says, here's my kid. I don't know if you remember this, but about four years ago I was in here. It was around feast time. I prayed. You told me, may God do what you've asked for. He did what you asked him to do. And this is him. It's Sam. And he's yours. And verse 28 says, I have lent him my son, given him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. And it says this really interesting phrase, and he worshiped the Lord. Some people read that and think it's Eli. I don't think it's Eli. I think Hannah's doing all the talking. He and her, she and her husband, Elkanah, are doing the giving. And as the giving is being done, here's the father of this kid, worshiping his God. Not broken and sorrowful, although I'm sure he was to some level over the losing or the giving of his son, but grateful for the gift that he was in the first place. Okay, listen to me, people. <laughs> listen to me. The hard things come, and they're hard. Nay, sometimes even impossible. But you can focus on the hard and crater in doubt, and discouragement, or you can focus on the light, the God who has given all the things that surround the hard. He's in the middle of the hard. He's going to walk you as you step with him through the hard, and he will give you grace for whatever you face if you will only look to the God who provides. So may God in his grace, keep us mindful that when things go dark, we need to go to the light.